Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Thanks, as always, for checking us out here on the GM Shuffle. So much for Sam I Am being the saver in New York. Three years after saying he was going to be the guy, the New York Jets say, all right, Donald, it's been fun, and he goes off the Carolina Panthers. In return for Donald, the number three overall pick in 2018, the Jets get three picks, a sixth rounder in the 2021 draft later this month, a second rounder, and a fourth rounder in 2022. We are going to get to what the Jets are going to do with their number two pick. It appears very likely they're going to draft Zach Wilson at a BYU, but first off for Darnold, this is a guy who came in, Mike, with a lot of hype. I remember watching him in college, and it seemed like he was the most likely to be successful at the NFL level of his draft class. We've talked to him before. The turnover is obviously a big issue. But ultimately, if someone were to say to you, why didn't Sam Darnold work in New York, what would your answer be? Well, I think it would be three things. So durability, it didn't really stay healthy the whole time. Mistake prone. And the Jets were always playing from behind. I think when you look at when you look at any quarterback, and the hardest thing to do is playing when you play from behind. And Darnold's 13 and 25 as a starter. In only nine games did he throw for over eight yards on the pass attempts. 16 of those games, he didn't throw an interception. 12, he threw only one. But here's where it gets really bad. Darnold was on the ground 98 times in those three years. So he got the shit beat out of him, right? 723 of his passing attempts occurred when the team was losing. And 25 of his 38 interceptions were thrown when the team was behind. So what happens is when you're judging the quarterbacks, you're always thinking, you know, he's the reason. Well, when you're behind and you're desperate and you're trying to do things that you can't quite do, it becomes problematic. And I don't think that, do I think Darnold is mistake prone? Yes. Do I think Darnold's a hopeless, busted pick like Mitchell Trubisky? No, I don't. I think Darnold has rhythm. I think Darnold has moxie. I think he's a tougher kid. And I think he wasn't supported as well. And I think that this starting anew for the for the Jets is wonderful. But is it the right move? And I think the only time's going to tell. And some of his much of it is about finances. So the benefit of trading Darnold, you get the rookie contract as a factor decision. The number two pick is a fixed cost. That's a projected $35 million over four years. So with Darnold, there would have been financial uncertainty beyond 2021 if the Jets didn't exercise his fifth-year option for 2022. We saw this with Trubisky and the Bears, right, Mike? Obviously, you know, I've talked about MVP Mitch, but the Bears realized, hey, let's just see what we can get out of him. But ultimately... Beyond the rookie contract, we don't want to pay this guy big money, and that's why he's now a backup of the Bills. Similarly for the Jets, they're saying, okay, theoretically, let's bring in Zach Wilson, and he's going to be more affordable than Sam Darnold will be, and we can use that money to supplement other holes elsewhere. Now, you're banking that Wilson's going to be better than Sam Darnold, but uh, you know, that has to be the theory here is you're using the finances in different ways. Right. And you're, it's a little bit like stats. You're using them to justify your case, right? You know, it's like, I, this is what I want. So I'm going to say, well, Sam's too expensive. To me, I want to be right. You know, Al Davis used to say all the time, I'm not looking to be consistent. I'm looking to be correct, which, you know, is is a great line. And I mean, for me, I keep hearing them toss this, well, Darnold would have cost them. No. I mean, if Darnold is a good enough player, if he's Ryan Tannehill, you know, you can afford that kind of contract on your cap. The cap's going to go up in the next three years. I mean, we just signed a new TV deal. 
His cap isn't going to stay. For the next two years, Sam Darnold's really affordable. And then if he's a good player and he's not in that elite number, you know, you could probably sign him to a, a modest, a decent deal with incentives and have a fixed cost at the position. So I, I think using the money is a little bit of, of kind of a crutch. I'm not sure it's the right crutch. Yeah, Zach Wilson's cheaper. Is he better? Is your team better? See, I think this is really about, this is a decision that Joe Douglas, it's really the best example of what we call false duality and leadership. Whenever you get a decision, it, you have to make a decision. You always have A or B, right? You know, do we keep Darnold or do we draft Zach Wilson? What do we do, A or B? Well, this is really not an A or B decision because if we keep Darnold and we add these five things to the team, we might be better. If we trade Darnold, you know, when we get Zach Wilson, is Zach Wilson good enough? What happens if Darnold goes to Carolina and plays good, plays as good as Zach Wilson? Say they play the similar. Is it worth it? Now, you could say, okay, great. Well, you got draft picks out of it. Here, here's where I disagree on the draft picks. They traded 2022 draft picks to Carolina traded a second and a fourth, I think. Right, AD? Yeah, they go a second and a fourth and a six-round pick in this draft. So three picks total. Of course, I, I bet you the whole trade was held up by the sixth this year because I'm sure the, the, the Jets wanted to have something in this year's draft. But the fact that it's all the, most of the draft picks, the substantial draft picks are in the 2022 draft. For the Panthers, you basically have paid really nothing for Darnold because what the Panthers can easily do right now is they could trade down, I think, what are they, nine, eighth or ninth, somewhere in the draft? So say they like a guy in the first round. Okay, great. And say they, the guy doesn't make it to them. They trade down, they pick up a two, and they'll pick up something else. And they still have their pick. So anytime they move between now and next year, they either they move this year's one, this year's two, or next year's one, they're going to recoup the two and the four for Sam Darnold. This is a game that the, the New Orleans Saints have been playing for years. The Patriots have been playing it for years. People get so hung up on draft picks, right? Draft pick compensation. Because most of the guys that are running drafts are college directors. So they get so hung up on draft picks. Oh, I got to have more draft picks. That's six round pick. That six round pick has about a 10% chance of making your team. In fact, that six round pick, it, you could steal off of somebody else's practice squad once the rosters are set. He's just sitting out there, right? But God forbid if you, you know, you, 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 you give up a mountain for that. So if you're, if you're Matt Rule, you're sitting there saying, okay, I get Sam Darnold. That cost me a two and a four. But if I move down in the second round, I'll get, I'll get an, I'll get more compensation. I'll get, I, I get a player back, right? Nobody counts that you get Sam Darnold back in the trade. Everybody says, well, you know, they gave up a lot for him. They gave up three, three picks for him. Well, they got a player back for him too, right? And they got a player back. He counts as something. He's not a, he's not a bag of groceries. So, I think the fact that they put all the assets in the 2022 draft just makes this a much better deal for the Panthers because they could recoup the cost by trading down. So as you mentioned, you recoup the cost by trading down. You get Darnold, who we believe has talent. And what does this mean now for Teddy Bridgewater? Is Darnold actually an upgrade? Well, Carolina signed Bridgewater last year with a three-year, $63 million contract. In reality, a two-year deal because of the way it was structured. So Bridgewater set to count $22.9 million against this year's salary cap. And according to Ian Rappaport, following the trade for Darnold, the Panthers spoke with Bridgewater and allowed him the opportunity to talk with teams to potentially facilitate a trade. Carolina open to Bridgewater returning, but will give him a chance to have a say in his future. Your thoughts on Bridgewater and what that means for Carolina? Well, I thought Bridgewater was traded to Denver this year. And, and even though John Elway is making a ton of money and he's retired, he and I think they were going to trade Bridgewater to Denver 
and get, you know, I don't know if Locke was coming back to Carolina, but there was, there was a, let me just say this. There was strong conversations about Teddy Bridgewater and Denver. And then Denver just, for whatever reason, John Elway, they backed out. And Elway still, there's still a belief from the Elway camp inside of the Denver organization that Drew Locke can be a good player. They don't believe it, but they have to believe it because the mastermind, uh, Elway, believes it. So they all have to kind of, and he won't give up on it yet because he's attached to it. So. The question is, would Denver take Bridgewater? I think they would. Would they think they're going to get him for free? They probably think that they'll just cut him. Well, the Saints are sitting out there. The Saints are one of those teams that have been, even though they've signed Winston, and even though they have Taysom Hill, they have been one of those teams that have been very active in the quarterback market. They're kicking tires. They were in the Sam Darnold market, too. They were in the Sam Darnold market, too. They're kicking the tires on everything. Like, I think what Sean Payton's doing is exactly what you have to do. It's what Matt Rule's doing, too, is everybody makes everybody makes fun of teams because they miss on the quarterback. I, I make fun of Mitchell Trubisky because the Bears missed on him. I really don't. What I, what I make fun of the Bears for is misevaluating Trubisky once he's there. You're going to make mistakes on quarterbacks, right? But what I learned in my career watching Schneider at Seattle— when I thought that that was, they were trying to put too many spins on the quarterback position with Russell Wilson, Charlie Whitehurst, and you know Matt Flynn and all those guys. What I've learned is, is look, just throw as many against the wall as you can and figure out one's going to stick and you're going to get with one. And I think that's what Rule's trying to do at Carolina. I think that's what Sean Payton's definitely trying to do down in, down in New Orleans. The transition from Drew Brees to all this. He's just saying, screw it. I'm going to bring as many guys in here. I'm going to have competition for the position, and I'm going to figure it out when I see them and when I have them on who's going to be the guy. I think that's the right way. Like I don't fault, I don't fault Chicago for Trubisky in terms of I fault their process on how they drafted Trubisky was wrong. But where the real fault lies is in their desperation to hang on to him and not admit that he's bad. The Giants are doing the same thing with Daniel Jones, and they may be right. They may be right. I don't see it. You don't see it, AD, but they may be right. But at some point, you got to keep throwing things against there to make sure you've got it. And I think that at the end of the day, that that's what Carolina's doing. And, and because Denver is so in love with Locke, they're not doing that. Hey, give yourself options. Never a bad thing is what Carolina's trying to do here. Hey, hey, Push, you got options. Don't <laughs> let anybody tell you you don't have options. Every time I hear options, I think of Puss. You know, you got options, Push. Don't be running that H out there. It's too dangerous. <laughs> it's my back tone. It's my back's killing me. Uh, <laughs> here's Panthers GM Scott Fitterer on what the team will do with Bridgewater. Take a listen. Yeah, I would say right now, um, we're just trying to always add, you know, good talent to the roster and make it as competitive as we can be. I was able to reach out to, uh, to Teddy today. I was able to talk to him. I talked to his representatives and uh, we had a really good discussion and just uh, not to get into details, but uh, I think we're all on the same page of where we stand. And, you know, I'll, I'll let coach uh, kind of handle where, what the pecking order is and uh, what the plan is. But overall, the, the whole idea of bringing Sam in was, to, to raise the competition level at the, at the position and get to where we need to be. All right. And in that case, the mission is accomplished. We move on as far as the draft is concerned and look at the number four pick in the Atlanta Falcons. According to a source telling ESPN's Adam Schefter, Schefter, excuse me, the Falcons are, quote, open to moving. The first three picks in the draft appear to be locked in. Trevor Lawrence going number one. 
Now you see Zach Wilson to number two. The 49ers are going to take a quarterback at number three. So Falcons GM Terry Fontenot said in February he believed the number four spot is a prime spot to be in. There's different scenarios. The Falcons could draft a quarterback, whoever's left on the board. They could also look at an offensive playmaker, Florida's Kyle Pitts, or the best lineman in the draft, Sewell out of Oregon. What do you think, Mike? Atlanta, what do they do at number four? Well, I think there's a lot of discussion in the building, right? I think Terry Fontenot wants to take a quarterback. I think they like Lance. I think they want to take the quarterback. And I I think that the head coach has fallen in love with Matt Ryan. And we talked about this on the podcast before. So I think they're open for business. And it's smart. They're open for business. And, you know, and if you're picking eighth or ninth and you want a quarterback, they're going to try to lure you into the, into coming up there. If you're picking uh, down in the draft like Washington, you know, I think Washington is, is going to be the next team to unload all their picks to try to get a quarterback. I think they love Lance. I think Washington, I don't think, I know Washington loves Lance. And so will they trade up to get Lance? That becomes remains to be seen. Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, uh, Martin Mayhew, I think the three of them, they've got to make a decision. Is it worth it to to forfeit some draft picks because they've got a really good team and if they get this quarterback, they could really move up. It may just happen on the day of the draft as where, where Lance goes or what Atlanta does. Atlanta's going to try to get a King's Ransom for the pick, certainly, and we'll see if they can. But uh, my sense of it is is Atlanta's going to hold an auction because the coach wants to stick with Ryan. I think it's a mistake. I think they should draft the offensive tackle. I think the tackle from Oregon, A.D., Sewell, is 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 just put him on the Pro Bowl board. Don't even put him on the Pro Board. Put him on the Pro Bowl board. The guy's a legitimate left tackle who's never on the ground. He can pass protect. One of the things to me that makes the Jets' decision to trade Darnold and go with Zach Wilson is, is if you had Becton and if you have Becton at left tackle and you have Sewell at right tackle, you have two of the best tackles in all of football. That could really help your offensive line. That's going to help your quarterback. And... You know, I think to me, if I were the Jets, I would have thought about trading down. I would have thought about, you know, maybe picking a two, picking Sewell, whatever I could have done. But to get a left tackle or a right tackle that's a blue chip, that's a Pro Bowl player, I mean, that's that's something I don't think I could turn down. So now Atlanta's sitting there with, with Sewell. They have every chance because Cincinnati's just dying for Sewell to make it to him at five. They've got their tongues out. I mean, they're praying <laughs> Sewell gets to him at five. Yeah, obviously. You know, because they could just they, they need a they need they need Anthony Munoz as much as anybody. And if they can get Anthony Munoz at five, they're going to get a Pro Bowl player, and so, and the, and whoever picks the four quarterbacks. I mean, they're hoping Atlanta trades out to get the quarterback. They're hoping that they're encouraging that they want that. So we'll see. I think, but I think that's where Atlanta is. That's where I think the direction they're headed. Yeah, the Bengals got their franchise quarterback in Joe Burrow. Now it's about protecting that investment. Later on down the line, you see some of those receivers, but that's less likely for Atlanta. Guys like Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, those feel like more through six through 10 and moving on. Uh, Washington is another intriguing team. They signed Ryan Fitzpatrick to start at quarterback, but Ron Rivera is making clear that doesn't mean that he's got the job right away. Rivera saying there will be a competition. Take a list of what he had to say when asked about the quarterback position. Well, we'll see. Again, um, can't tell you how things are going to unfold once we get into the draft, and, and uh, we're going to react to what's going to happen in front of us. You know, picking where we're picking, um, you know, there's a lot of things can happen. You know, we, we have targets, we have ideas, we have guys that we like, but uh, that always changes just because of the fact that uh, you know, everybody has a choice. And so you just never know what's going to happen at that point. 
So Ron Rivera has said, Mike, hey, there was a mistake to not hold a true quarterback competition, giving the job to Dwayne Haskins, in part because there was no preseason games. And after four games, he benched Haskins. He was done with them. And now with Fitzpatrick entering his 17th season, he clearly does not want to repeat the mistake. He's got a couple legitimate challengers in Kyle Allen and Taylor Heineke. Now, you did say when Andy Dalton was signed by the Bears, the worst thing a team can do is to fill a position and still need a player for that team. Washington owns the 19th overall pick in the draft. What do you think about what Rivera's saying? I think he's saying exactly what we just said in the prior before he became on. I mean, they're going to wait to that draft. And if Trey Lance starts to slide, they're going to go get his ass. That's what he's saying right there. They're going to go get his ass. We're going to react to what happens in front of us. He's not lying. You know, Ron's just being totally honest. Now, do they want to go up to four and guarantee them that they get Trey Lance? Well, they're probably, you know, Atlanta probably wants two number ones in future years. And, you know, and so it's too expensive. So it's cost effective for them to sit there and wait to see what happens. I'm sure they're engaged in conversations with Atlanta. But I think that that's where they are. I think they want Trey Lance. I think they're willing to go get him. I think they want to do it in a way to where they can maximize their cost minimize their cost. And so the only way you could do that is get on the clock and wait for that draft to start and wait for who goes four, who goes five, you know, who's at six. Maybe I can get to six and, you know, they'll, they'll be willing to move down and I'll give them next year's one and yada, 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 and move on that way. So, you know, for me, I, th- I think that they, they want competition. Fitzpatrick's going to be the starter opening day. I don't think there's any doubt about that. He's a better player than Andy Dalton. The reality of this is, is how long can Fitzy go for? And it's the perfect guy. If you dra- say they draft Trey Lance and they got Fitzy, you know, and they got Taylor Hankey and they got uh, Allen, Kyle Allen over there. They got four quarterbacks, right? So they let, they let Fitzy start the season off. They redshirt Lance and they go, they go into the year. And, and next year in 2022, they're ready to go. They got their quarterback for the future. Uh, it's like we said, back to pussy again. It's all about the options. After the break, we asked you, the fans, and you answer. What an incredible job all of you did as far as Hugh Jackson book titles. We're going to count down our favorite of the list that you gave us on social media. Do not go anywhere. This is really funny. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in. Instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. 
All right, before the 2017 draft, then Browns coach Hugh Jackson digging in a Miles Garrett number one overall pick. The front office wanted Mitchell Trubisky. He took extreme measures to plead his case. Take a listen to this, courtesy of the Pass It Down podcast with Michael and Natalie Silver. I think at the time there was a divide between who should be the first pick. Uh, I wanted Miles Garrett, and I'm an offensive coach because I didn't think that there was a quarterback that was worthy of being the first pick of the draft. Uh, I thought Miles was going to be a generational talent. I thought he demonstrated that uh, in our private meeting with him. He demonstrated to me his intelligence, his burning desire to be the best at what he does. His workout was sensational. I was lock and barrel on Miles Garrett, but there was others that were lock and, lock and barrel on Mitchell Trubisky. And so, and me being a quarterback guy, I did not want that. I didn't, I liked Mitchell, but I didn't think that he was the first pick of the draft at quarterback. And so there were some rumblings about that. And I think everybody knew that. I mean, there was truly divide, but the day, you know, the day of the draft, obviously we ended up picking mounts, you know, and, and rightfully so. There's a lot to chew on there, Mike. You've been there. I, I love that. I, it always reminds me of a story What you know, I love when coaches, when you ask them, do you like a player? And they'll say, yeah, I like him, but I don't think he's worthy of this pick. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> like, either he's good enough or he's not, right? Like, like either he's good enough or he's not. Like, don't tell me, oh, you know, I, I, I just don't think Mitchell was worthy of the first pick of the draft. Well, if you think he's good and he can start, then 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 what, what do you care where we pick him? This is what's wrong with the draft, AD. This is what's so fucking fundamentally wrong with the NFL draft process. Everyone focuses on where they get picked. Give Mel Kuyper credit. Give Todd McShay credit. Give the worldwide leader credit. They've created this. They've created this thing called value. It's value. Bill Walsh used to say all the time, it doesn't matter where we pick them. It matters how they play. No one will sit there and say, does anybody sit there saying Danny Marino was a bad pick at 25 or 29? Right? You know, after the draft, Ken O'Brien was a wonderful pick at 20. You know, oh, yeah, Jim Kelly's an excellent pick at 11. Dan Marino went 29. Did anybody talk about that? You know, we picked Charles Haley in the fourth round. The guy's in the fucking Hall of Fame. Oh, that was a reach. Reach? We should have picked him in the first round. He's in the fucking Hall of Fame. Like, what does it matter? Like, what does it matter? Like, that that's just a way, that's another way of saying, you know, I, I want a backdoor. No, look, if you think Mitchell Trubisky's not a starting quarterback, say it. In this draft, just for the fucking record, they traded their pick to the Houston Texans for Deshaun Watson. In this draft, that's they got next year's one. So what, what they're telling you is they misevaluated the quarterbacks completely. Now, why didn't you finish that sentence? Look, I don't doubt that the analytical people wanted Mitchell Trubisky. It just proves the point that they don't know what they're talking about, right? It just proves the point. There was a lot of people that wanted Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, Ryan Pace traded up a spot because there was so much the narrative. Remember this about the NFL draft. There's a narrative that goes into it. It's created by the worldwide leader created by mock drafts, there's a narrative that goes into this. And the narrative becomes reality. It becomes, it perpetuates itself further and further along. And if you're either in the reality or you're not, you buy the reality. I'll give you the perfect example. Kispert, the kid that plays for Gonzaga, 
great looking kid, headband, perfect, right? The narrative with him is he's going to be a NBA player, yada, yada, yada. That's the narrative with him. The reality of him is if you watched him play and watched how he shot against better competition, you would say, that's probably not right. If you took the narrative away and just made this guy a blank tape and said, who is this guy? Evaluate him. And you knew nothing about him. You probably think he probably won't get drafted. Right? He's, you know, okay, he's a good player. Can't guard anybody, yada, yada, yada. But the narrative drives it over. Well, this is what happens in the draft. The narrative drives players up the board, down the board, right? And and because people listen to the narrative, it screws you up. I mean, do I think that they wanted a picture? I'm not disagreeing with, with Hugh at all. I'm disagreeing with, I didn't think he was worthy of the first pick. Al Davis just say, look, I, I'll make that fucking call. You just tell me about the player. That's what Walsh used to say. Don't tell me where to pick them. Just describe the player. I would say the only teams that do this, and this is a pet peeve of mine, and, and it's New England. Belichick won't talk about where to pick the guy. Belichick talks about how the player is going to play. Anybody from the New England system does this. Everybody else grades the players based on where they went. I've t- said this story before. I was in Cleveland in, in 87, I think it was maybe 88 after that. We had a scout there, wonderful man, just a great guy. He would, you asked him a question before the draft, he had looked like he had gas hemorrhoids. He couldn't get a <laughs> sentence out, like seriously. He looked like he was one of those prisoners down at Guantanamo. He wouldn't say <laughs> shit, right? Like you couldn't, you couldn't waterboard an answer out of his ass, right? Right? When the draft was over, he got his notebook. He went into this. I could still see him sitting there. We were in the old building in Berea. He got his notebook out. He sat it down. Yep. Said that guy was going to be a second. I said that guy was a second. I said that guy was a third. Like he's grading himself based on where they went. Like, how does that make any sense to you? You grade the players on where they go, not how they play. Oh, that's hysterical, but the Guantanamo reference. And by the way, the point about, that is an outstanding point you make, Mike, about when a guy gets drafted and they go, well, I like him. I just didn't like him in the second round. That's like, you know, in movies when The Departed won Best Picture and people said, well, you know what? It wasn't Scorsese's best. Goodfellas is better. Yeah, I know, but he's not competing against himself. That movie was made in 1990. This movie's 2006. Was this the best movie of this year? Yeah, but I thought that was better. But did you like this movie? Like your point. Hey, do you like Charles Haley? Who gives a crap where he was drafted? Who cares when the movie came out? If it's a good movie, it's a good movie. So I, I completely appreciate your frustration with that. What this led to was your idea on the fly, but Hugh Jackson book titles, because we were so entertained by this idea, what Hugh Jackson had felt aggrieved by. We'll go through a few of these because this was hysterical. And again, thanks to all of you for making us <laughs> laugh. I like the one very simple. This is so good. Yeah. I can't thank people enough. I mean, this really made, I mean, the amount that we got in there, I just think to me was remarkable. I mean, it's just, it's so good. It, there's so many of them. There's too many to choose from. Oh my God. So Andrew Graining, what about playing off his name? Hubris, H-U-E-B-R-I-S. I thought that was very clever. Jason DC7, my mistakes by the lake. Uh, Green Turner 33, <laughs> the shittiest hue of brown. <laughs> um, we, we got one here from Big James Story. Title of the book, I Suck Donkey Balls as a Coach. Um, Clark J745, from river to lake and all my mistakes in between. Browns fan 1591, how to go 0 and 16 or how to go 1 and 31. <laughs> I, I, I got a few more. A buddy of mine, Jim Dixon from London, who sends me some incredible stuff all the time. He sends me one. Who's Hugh Sorry Now? A tip to Connie <laughs> Francis, right? 
Who's sorry now? <laughs> I love that one. And then his personal favorite, the alphabet according to Hugh, from pilot flying J to L. <laughs> uh, uh, R the Bates, L being loser. Yeah, anything with Hugh, anything play off the name I love. Like, you know, R, R. Bates, Hugh had no clue. Uh, J. Drew, Silver Whisperer. Um, Elif saying losing done right. The view from the big chair. How to su- how to not succeed in football without even trying. Of course, play off the how to succeed in business without even trying. Uh, Hugh Moore, win less. Huey, Dewey, and how I was screwed. Uh, captain of the Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> Hugh Jack City, the fall from power he never had. My dip in Lake Erie, the hamster wheel of delusion. Perfectly imperfect from winning to 016. It, this is incredible stuff by everybody, Mike. It's so bad. You know, would I lie to Hugh from Hugh to obscurity? I mean, how about that? <laughs> yeah, from Hugh to obscurity. That's great. From here to eternity. Oh, that's really good stuff. Thanks to everybody. Uh, for 100 chatting. yards of sadness. The 100 yards of sadness. The baby Huey story. I mean, oh, <laughs> it's so good. But I mean, I, hopefully I'd be more than happy to send it to him and see if he likes any of them for his thing. I can't wait to read it. I'm going to actually want to look into it because... Look, you know, it's uh, he's got Hugh's got to do something to protect this brand. You know, he's got to try to justify what happened. And, you know, if but, you know, nobody goes back and reads the quotes about what they were saying when he was there. You know, Hugh acted like he had all the authority. Remember in that press conference? Remember when they're sitting there saying, you know, I'm the one who makes the decisions around here. Now, all of a sudden, the tune changes, right? Oh, it's amazing how everything changes like that. Don't blame me, and I was paid for it. Hey, Hugh knew by Hugh Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) When we come back, uh, Mike is going to fix the L.A. Chargers and the New England Patriots, our ongoing Fix My Team segment. Plus, Baylor wins. Bit of a dud, huh? NCAA championship game, Gonzaga. What happened to them? We'll talk a little hoops next. From New Jersey, USA, it's Fix My Team and How Many Moves. And now, here are your hosts, Michael Lombardi and Adnan Berg. All right, time for more Fix My Team and How Many Moves. This time it's the L.A. Chargers. So they finished the 2020 season 7-9. and nine. The good news is Justin Herbert is an absolute stud. Offensive Rookie of the Year, 4,336 passing yards, 31 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. His passing yards, touchdowns, and completions, all NFL rookie records. As discussed here on the GM Shuffle, Anthony Lynn could always snatch defeat away from the jaws of victory, especially late in the game. So Anthony Lynn is out. L.A. Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley hired as the team's new coach. Seven and nine, as I mentioned, Mike, they got the 13th overall pick. How many moves to fix the Chargers? Look, I like to hire Brandon Staley because I think it gives them some versatility defensively, something I think they needed badly. You know, they played the Gus Bradley one coverage, one scheme. I, that's now going to, to Las Vegas. We'll see how that works out. This is really about fixing their offensive line. They got to get, they've got to get better at left tackle, right? They signed Corey Lindsay in free agency. That helps. They get a center. They had Balaga, who's not always going to stay healthy. They've signed Matt Fryer at right guard. You know, but they need a left tackle. They need to protect. This is really about offensive linemen. They've got to fix the offensive line, and it's the only thing that's going to hurt Herbert. He's got great skill players around him. Ekelar, he's got guys that can run the ball. He's got receivers. You know, they signed Jared Cook to come in and replace Hunter Henry. So I think they'll get, you know, they get a Derwin James back, who's a first round pick that they've missed the last two seasons. So for me, it's about linebackers. They've got to fix the linebacker situation and they've got to fix the offensive line. And if they do that, 
I think Brendan Staley could be a coach of the year. You know, you can play these coach of the year prop bets on, you know, DraftKings or any of the other uh, apps. You can get them. I, I think he would be. This is a good team that just with Herbert, you know, if Herbert was in this draft, would he be the first pick in the draft? I don't know, but he probably might be the first or second pick in this draft. Some people say, some people think he's much better than, he's better than Lawrence, you know? So we're talking about a generational quarterback under center. I think this is a really, unless he's, if he doesn't stay healthy, I think Stokely could be a real, Staley, excuse me, I'm sorry, Brandon Staley, I think he could be a really good opportunity to have a, a coach of the year or not. It's interesting, right? It's all about timing, being in the right spot at the right time. So maybe that could end up working for the LA Chargers. You see the moves, uh, obviously, they made in the offseason. Chase Daniel agreeing to terms among the moves that they've also made as far as the offensive line. I mentioned the draft where they are a 13th overall pick. They have a total of nine picks in the draft. So curious to see how they make those moves. In terms of a fix my team and how many moves, we go to the New England Patriots. So the Patriots coming in, listen, we all know they spent a ton of money to try to improve things after a tough season. Cam Newton-led squad finished 7-9. and nine. They missed the playoffs. Special teams and defense struggle. The offense also proved to be a liability. Costly turnovers. They lost several games. The Patriots had a huge spending spree so far in this offseason. How many moves to fix the Pats, Mike? Well, I, I think it's, you know, this is a draft that can really impact their 2022 team when they, you know, won't have any cap or won't have any free agent money to spend. So they've got to really look short-term and long-term here. I think they need a three technique. If they can get a defensive tackle in there, I think that would be certainly something that could really help them. More speed on defense, another corner to help them cover. I think that could help them tremendously. You know, if they could go, you know, I don't think they're going to trade Gilmore. They still have Jonathan Jones, but he'll be a free agent after the season. So I think that those areas that I would start on, they're not far away. You know, obviously they've got to fix the quarterback position. Cam Newton's got to play much better. Where are they with Jared Stidham? And do they can they trade up? I mean, if Mac Jones goes three, which is what we all believe to be true, and and he goes three, then where does that all fit? You know, where do that means get to four. Do they like Justin Fields? I don't think so. Do they like Do they like Trey Lance? I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, just knowing how they operate, I couldn't imagine that they could get either one of Lance and Fields to a high enough point to justify trading up to get them. See, this is what fans don't understand. If you have a grading system, right, that you have to really adhere to, you, you've got to be able to say, well, Lombardi says they don't like Fields and they don't like Lance. Well, that doesn't mean they don't like them. What I'm saying is they don't have them graded high enough to be able to justify drafting them at that point in the draft. Because to go in the first 15 players, let's say, okay, let's just let's just say you think Justin Fields is a 69 player. You grade him 69. That player has abilities and can create mismatches versus most opponents in the league. He's a featured player on the team, has the ability to impact the outcome of the game. No one player can take him out of the game. Each week, he has a consistent level of performance, plays at a championship level in most situations, rates in the top 10 in the positions of his league. If you feel comfortable grading Justin Fields there, then, okay, you could do that. I don't. I don't think he's going to be a top 10 quarterback in the league. Now, so you could disagree with that. That's fine, right? So what happens is, again, this is really important about the draft. What, I, what you have to understand about the draft, I don't want you to think how I think, but I want you to understand how I think. That's really critical to separate the two things. And this is where we get screwed up in the draft. 
This is where we get screwed up, you know, because we got one, we got two guys on TV, Mel and, and Todd, who do a really good job. And Daniel Jeremiah, they all do really good jobs. They're just telling you about their player. They're not telling you the process on how they think. They're telling you what they think. But when you're in that draft room, you have to understand how you think how you think. It's different than what I think. And so when I say they can't trade up to get that, then I'm saying they can't put they can't put the verbiage next to the player that justifies it, right? So you've got to be able to like if you if I gave him a a a, a 63 grade, he's a, a one-dimensional player that can do well, has certain skills to be productive in a role. He may never be a full-time starter. Okay, well, you know, you, if you think Justin Fields is, okay, then you'd say, okay, a player that has the ability to be a starter but can't overcome some of the limitations. He's adequate at position, struggles to be a productive versus blue or top-level players, doesn't play on a consistent level. That doesn't mean he's not a good player. You're just describing this. And if you don't have verbiage next to this, you can't really justify it. But if all you do is say he's a first-rounder or he's a second-rounder, then what are we saying? That doesn't say anything descriptions tell you what he is. And that's why I think that that's why it's hard for me to see them drafting quarterbacks like Fields or Lance or, you know, even, you know, uh, some of these other guys early because they can't fit the description to justify trading for him. Having said that, you don't believe that Cam Newton's going to be the starting quarterback necessarily, right? There's going to be a competition. He, as you said before, Mike, what they're paying him, a base value of $5.1 million, that's the key. Other, other people were saying, wait, one-year deal worth up to $13.6 million. Up to is the key there. For all the Patriots fans who say, well, I think Cam Newton sucks, you would say, well, listen, they're going to bring other people in there to push him for the starting job. Yeah, I, I think they're definitely going to try, but I think sometimes if you can't get that, you know, sometimes you just can't get... Uh, you can't get the ability to bring competition in. I'm, I'm sure they're going to try to do it as best they can. We'll see if they can, but I, I, it's hard to do it. You just can't manufacture competition. It's a good point. You can't just bring a guy in and go, we'll get the best out of this guy. Well, is it actually going to work? Well, that remains to be seen. What is indisputable is the Patriots have spent a lot of money to try to get better in a hurry to make up for what happened a season ago. Uh, let's switch gears over to basketball. It was a fun March Madness. God, listen, the Gonzaga-UCLA game, a buzzer beater for the ages. Suggs with the three. As Bill Raftery said, there are onions and then there are major onions. I mean, that's one of the greatest college basketball games you'll ever see. And unfortunately, it looks like we peaked a little bit early because that was the semifinal in the Final Four and the national championship not great. 86 to 70 as Baylor wins, hoping to see an unbeaten season wire to wire. And Gonzaga, unfortunately, right out of the gate was sluggish as Baylor was up 9 0. And then it was 29 to 10, less than 10 minutes into the game. Gonzaga does become the first undefeated team since Indiana State in 1979 to enter the title game and then lose. So pushing the undefeated teams in the national championship to 7 and 3 all time. But overall, Mike, your reflections on March Madness, I still can't get over that Suggs buzzer beater. It was amazing. It was truly amazing. I mean, it was a privilege to watch the game. It was incredible. But you know what? My first instinct watching the game was, if Gonzaga played in a better conference, let's say Gonzaga played in the Big 12, what would their record be? I asked a coach uh, in college basketball, I said, what do you think their record would be if they played in the, in the Big 12? He said 19 and 10. You know, I think what happens, again, this is the narrative that gets created, right? Gonzaga played in a conference that wasn't the most talented. The Big 12's got some really good teams. Texas, Texas Tech, you know, West Virginia. You know, there's some really good teams. Kansas, Oklahoma, right? 
And look, I know Gonzaga killed Oklahoma in a playoff game in the tournament, but the reality of it is, is when you start stacking those opponents one after another, it becomes harder to win the marathon. And I think because of the way Gonzaga plays in that conference, there's a false sense of how good they really are. Right. If you look at Ken Palm, which is the gospel according to college basketball, you should genuflect when you say the name Ken Palm. Uh, you know, the, he they they were substantially better than everybody else. But on that court on Monday night, Baylor looked by far the better team. Not even close. I mean, Gonzaga didn't look athletic. They didn't look like other than you know a few of the players. They couldn't really keep up with them. So my point here is, when you want to build, you know, we all want to film a Hollywood movie. We all want to film that you know great script. We go undefeated. But the fact that if you have to go through the Big Ten or the Big Twelve or the Southeast Conference, and you got to wear and tear your bodies up and down the court all the time, that makes you a better team. It may not make you perfect, but it makes you a better team. And I think because of that, that's what got Gonzaga. Uh, I, I don't think Gonzaga, I think Gonzaga's lack of scheduling. Now, I know they schedule good teams earlier in the season, but, you know, really college basketball is about February and March. That's when the teams peak and you really don't get a good handle on that. So I thought it was a great game. I thought it was a, a commentary. If you're a young coach, you know, you've got to play against the best competition with your team because you'll never really know how good your team is until you see it that way. And I think that's where Gonzaga fought. When they had to go to zone in the first half to slow down West Virginia, you knew they were in trouble. You knew they were in trouble because that's not what they want to do. Yeah, and Charles Barkley even said at the half, listen, you're not going to slow down Baylor. So you better, you, you just got to score, right? This isn't, hey, clamp down on the defense. This is up the offense because you, you're you going to have to try to match them both for blow. You can't slow them down. And they did get it to the double digits of the half, but unfortunately, Baylor just overwhelmed them in the second half. And, and congrats to the Bears. A great victory for Baylor as they are the national champions. Um, for our GM Shuffle Pop Culture Minute, Aaron Rodgers hosting Jeopardy. I, I didn't get a chance to see it, but I, I didn't know he was a huge Jeopardy guy. Apparently, uh, the review for from Andrea Pizer of the New York Post, the Green Bay Packers quarterback has got it all. And then some. He's funny, self-effacing, whip-smart, and ridiculously handsome with a sense of comedic timing that should be the envy of every seasoned television professional out there. Wow, I wish we could get blurbs like this. Rodgers is not a complete newbie to the Jeopardy universe. In 2015, he won the Celebrity Jeopardy tournament in which winnings are donated to charity. He remains a longtime fan of the show. Rave reviews for A-Rod on Jeopardy. What do you think? Well, I think that's awesome. I mean, I think it's great. You know, there's so much time. You don't realize you what you uh, know about people. Like, you, you think you know someone. Like, like for me, uh, you know, A-Rod is, a- a- Aaron Rodgers is way deeper and probably more interesting than you think because he doesn't allow too many people to get close. But I'll tell you one, AD. I'm watching the Lincoln thing on CNN. And uh, uh, Conan O'Brien shows up as a Lincoln historian, loves Lincoln. Then I'm watching something with Robert Caro, and he did an interview with Robert Caro. And all of a sudden, you know, in the interview, Conan O'Brien's talking about how much he loves Robert Caro. Like, that's his whole thing. And then the other day, I'm watching a documentary, a fascinating documentary on Flannery O'Connor. Flannery O'Connor was this woman, a Southern woman writer who had lupus. She died at 39, but probably most influential in 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 writing some really interesting uh, kind of dark uh, settings and as it involves through Catholicism. Much of it, 
much of it, was the centerpiece for Springsteen's writings once he got past uh, Greetings from Asbury Park. Once he started to read Flannery O'Connor, Springsteen's changed his writing using his Catholic heritage, using, you know, the Church of St. Mary's and what he learned in Catholic school and then expanding onto it. And then in the Flannery O'Connor documentary, there's Conan O'Brien. Like, like if there was ever now, now Conan's on my list of top five people I got to have dinner with. Like I, like that is like, there's too much to talk about. We could talk Carol. We could talk Flannery. We could talk Lincoln. We could talk all these things. And that's the kind of what hit me with Aaron Rodgers is people are far more interesting than we actually think they are because we only see them through the straw. When we can, if we broaden, when they allow us to see them in a different light, they become fascinating. Yeah, you're right. It's everyone has different sides and different shades of their personalities. You don't realize it, but listen, everyone's a fan. No one is just one dimensional. And I think you and I would agree, because I think we are like this, the broader you can be, the more interesting you are as a person, right? Aaron Rodgers, the fact he has all these different fascinations and interests, uh, that can only help, I would think, being a quarterback. I think the people who are too single-minded, not only are just dull, but I just don't think they're as as successful at their occupation. So good for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, they don't remain curious. You know, I think one of the things, if, if you watch watch this Hemingway documentary on PBS. One of the things it talks about is uh, how the curiosity of, of, of Hemingway allowed him to write better. It allowed him to, you know, experience things and see things and come up with different ideas. And I think that ultimately the broad, the broader you get, if you're in a creative job, you have to find interest in other areas to help the job that you're trying to create. I watched episode one. I can't wait to watch episode two, which was last night, episode three tonight. So we're going to do a deep dive into Hemingway, the documentary, Ken Burns' latest six hours on the most important American writer since Mark Twain. That's coming up along with, of course, all the football coverage. You can always follow Mike at M. Lombardi NFL. Follow me, Adnan Esferk, and our show's Instagram page at the GM Shuffle. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.